Good morning. Hey, thanks, Eric. Uh, hey, if you don't know me, my name's JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So glad that everybody's here today. And I'll say it too. Um, happy Fourth of July. Have a great time this afternoon. And praise God, we get to live in a country where we can do this freely and not have to worry, right? So can I just encourage you to do something today? If, if you have lunch with your families today or dinner with your families today, could you just take a minute to pray for all of the Christians around the world that are persecuted that don't get to do this? Right? Praise God we live here and we get to do this. But just take a second when you're praying with your family and giving thanks for, man, the freedoms that we have and for, thankful for family. Just take a second to pray for Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like what Larry said, we're citizens of God's kingdom first, way above anything else, right? So pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that, that don't have the freedoms that, that we do. All right, so I'm just going to jump in today. Let me, let me ask you something. Um, if you happen to be in here today and, and are married with kids... Let me ask you something. What is the most important relationship in your family? Your marriage or your relationship with your kids? Can you rank them? Because here's what I think. I think a lot of people in our culture would think I'm crazy for saying this, but if you asked my kids, um, maybe you can ask Keaton after service, right? I don't mean to embarrass you, sorry. Um, but if you asked my kids, um, which relationship in our family is the most important relationship? I think they would say, well, mom and dad's relationship is the most important. Because here's here from scripture and just a conviction of my heart, and, and my heart, like what, what we, found in, we find in our family is if our marriage relationship is healthy, listen, the kids are going to be healthy. Right? If our marriage is in a good spot, the kids are going to be in a good spot because of course we're going to love them. Of course we're going to take care of them. But here's the thing, for, especially for you married people, you know this. If, if you're married and your marriage is unhealthy or it's just in a bad spot, even for a time, everything in your life is a little bit worse. Is that not true? I'm not saying your whole life's wrecked. But everything in your life, if your marriage is not healthy, is a little bit worse. When you get up and go to work in the morning, it just feels a little bit worse, right? When you think about things during the day, everything, you can't get that little piece of your mind that's dedicated to your marriage and the struggle at home or whatever else is going on, right? Every, your mind space is a little bit worse. Doing basic tasks, like get a little bit more overwhelming, a little bit more tougher. Your emotions are not, you're not quite as patient, you're not quite as kind, right? It just keeps going and going. Everything just gets a little bit harder. Married people, is that not true? If you're in a relationship, is that not true? Here's the thing, church. We are the bride of Christ, right? If you're newer to this whole faith thing, that's how Jesus describes us. Because marriage is not meant to make you happy. It's meant to be a reflection of who God is and how he loves his bride, the church. And the truth is, over the last year and a half with COVID and, and an election and all just the crazy things, that, of divisive things that have been happening in our culture, it's just made things a little bit harder, hasn't it? Like life just has felt a little bit harder. Things just haven't been the same. Like look, connections with people have not been the same. How we do church has not been the same. How does it feel to be sitting sort of close to people today? Right, and some of you are like, yes, finally. And other people are like, okay, okay, this is okay, right? But we put the ropes up today because do you know there's 260 seats in the middle? 260 seats, right? We've got plenty of room to spread out if we want to. But like last week, this is 4th of July weekend. Last week, we actually had more people in the service than we do right now, right? Which, but did last week or this week feel fuller, more like a family? If you were here last week. It just feels different, us all being here together, actually being able to hear maybe someone sing next to you. But over the last year, those connections have been ripped from us, haven't they? 
It started off with complete isolation, and then it was social distancing, and it was working from home, and a lot of those things were good, and a lot of those things were terrible, but over the year, over the last year and a half, things have just gotten harder. We've lost our connections. We've lost the family. We've, it's just harder. You add on top of that, one of our pastors having to step down over the last few months, it's just made things feel harder. And if you're new to Freshwater Day, well, welcome to the family. Right, welcome to the family. The last few months at this church have not been easy. And I just want to say, it's okay. It's okay to say that. It's okay to feel that. It's okay to like even coming to church has just felt a little bit harder than it used to. You're not alone. It's not, hasn't felt quite as joyful. It hasn't felt quite as good. It hasn't felt right. That's because it's not. It's not been right. The last year and a half has not been right. I can't tell you how many pastors I've talked to that are, were on over the last year and a half have been on the verge of quitting. Or like, I heard of one pastor's group where a couple pastors just wept because they didn't know how their church was going to survive. And they didn't have some of the things that we've been dealing with, right? Just, just the disconnect, just the spread out, just people getting used to not being a family. It's just been hard. And if you felt that way, hear me, you're not alone. You're not alone. Going through all these things, trying to get healthy, trying to move forward, is just harder than it used to be. I was talking to a pastor this week. Um, he's been a pastor for 35 years. And we were, we were meeting about something else, but he's a really good guy, really faithful pastor. I really have a lot of respect for him. And in and, and 35 years, you can probably imagine he's been through the highs and the lows of it, right? He said there was one point that he went through seven years of terrible and stayed faithful to his church. Can you imagine? Like his wife crying at night, lots of nights with him, terrible for seven years and, until the ship got righted. And it did. And things got really healthy, but it took that long. And he said this, and this was an encouragement to me, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. He said, man, the church is like a train. And when it's roaring down the tracks at full speed, it feels like nothing can stop it, right? Nothing can stop it. But when the train has to stop, when the train stops, it's hard. And the train can get going again. But to get the train going again, it just takes time. It takes time, and it will get going again. But sometimes things happen where the train just has to stop. He's like, so when you're getting the train moving again, you just be patient, you just be faithful, you just continue to do the good and right thing, you just continue to point people to Jesus, and it will get going again. And then soon, sooner or later, it'll feel like that unstoppable force. He's like, God will move it forward. He will believe it. And it was the encouragement that I needed that day, right? Church, the last six months... In particular, after, on the end of COVID, have required us to stop the train, hasn't it? Hasn't it felt like that? Is that okay? It just feels like the train stopped. We had to stop the train to deal with things so that we could get healthy, so we could move through the, move through the things that we had to move through, so that we actually could move forward. And listen, we haven't gotten there yet where the train's fully moving again. But it's beginning to move. And I hope what you're going to see is by the end of today, there are a lot of things happening right now. God is doing so many things, awesome things around us to build that momentum, to get that train going. And it is going to start flying down the tracks again. For maybe the first time in about three months, I have felt it deeply. Like, just, just know, if you're not there yet, it's okay. I felt it deeply. God is moving us forward. There is momentum building. We're going to get roaring down the tracks again. So here's the question, if you've been with us, what in the world does this have to do with Exodus? Does that, talking about fine twine linen, does that seem to fit in with what I'm saying today? It does. I promise you, it does. Today in Exodus, I think what God's really going to show us through the story of the Israelites, 
that how we're to move forward to that kind of health, that kind of, that kind of momentum, is actually pretty simple. It's hard to do, but it's simple in what we need to do. Here's how it happens. You ready? Through worship. It's not more complicated than that. It's just really hard to do. <laughs> but it's not hard to do. But it, are you with me? It's not complicated. It's worship. Good and right worship will lead us as individual people and as the church to who we are meant to be in him. He's the answer. So before we jump into Exodus again, let me just give you a brief recap for those who are new in the room. So here's what's happening in Exodus. We're, we're at the end of Exodus. We, we've only got three more sermons in Exodus, including today. Did you know that? We're done. We're at the end, right? Three more. And so where we've been in a very quick recap is God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, and he did miraculous, incredible things to free them, brought them out in the desert, showed him his presence, was just amazing to them, and then right after all of this happened, they turned against God and they started worshiping the golden calf. They started worshiping false gods, and there were consequences for their actions, and those consequences were dire. But what we saw last week is that the people repented of their sin, that God forgave them and cleansed them of their sin, and God renewed his covenant with them. The covenant where God said, if you will be faithful to me, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will bless you, and I will protect you, and I will guide you. Not only that, you will be my treasured possession in all the earth. They broke that. They, I mean, like we use the words, they committed adultery against God with other gods, but God forgave them, and he restored this beautiful covenant where they're the treasured people of God once again. So, so now that healing process for the Israelites has happened and they have been restored back to right relationship with God and, and now they're going to fulfill the commandments that God gave them in chapters 25 through 31. And so we talk about, you heard it, we talked about the bread of the presence and the altar and the, and the Ark of the Covenant. We're not going to talk in all that detail today because Brandon, just a few weeks ago, did a great job when all of it was talked about in 25 through 31, right? We've done that. So go back and listen to Brandon's sermon if you missed that. We won't get into all the details of that. But what they're going to do today is all of those commands about the tabernacle that were given back then, they're all being fulfilled in the passage today. This is them following God so that they can worship him properly. This is their path to proper worship. The tabernacle, if you don't know what that is, that's the tent of meeting. That's what will eventually become the temple where God's presence dwells among his people on earth, where all worship among Israel society is centered around. God's presence at the tabernacle. And see, at the end of this, I think what's going to happen is them learning the process of worshiping God rightly and seeing the results of how they, what, what happens when they worship God right, rightly will help us too. Will help us see God to worship God rightly and will move us forward as it moved them forward. So with that, read with me in chapter 35. Read with me in chapter 35, verses one through three. Don't worry, we're not gonna read every word that Eric read today. <laughs> he got the mouthful, I get to pick and choose. Chapter 35, verse one. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. He's even saying, I don't want you to cook food that way on that day. Because if you cook food, a lot of the women in that culture and a lot of the servants are going to be working. So prepare your food ahead of time. Eat, eat it cold, whatever you need to do. Eat salted meat. Don't, don't cook it that day, right? That's how serious this God's taking this. So, 
I don't know if, it, if you read this all in context, it might seem a little strange if you read it straight through that in between the, them renewing the covenant and God giving them in commands again and them building the tabernacle right in between this, there's this like almost random command reminding them of the Sabbath. Why do you think this is here? If you think about it for a second, it makes a lot of sense that it's here. One, for one reason, is this is one of the easiest ways for, for them to show that they're being faithful to God. Right? This is, an, this is a, a culture that has to work hard, right? The farmer type, shepherds, those type of things. Like, they've got to work, right? And so, honoring God in the Sabbath, not working when there's always stuff to do, is a very practical, very real way of showing that they're being faithful to God's commands, that they're listening to what he's commanded them to do. But maybe the most important reason, here, this is conjecture a little bit, but here's why I think God put this here too. They're about to build the tabernacle, this is going to be a huge deal, a huge undertaking for these people. And God, God is reminding them right at the beginning, do not sacrifice proper worship to build the thing where you're going to go worship. Does that make sense? Don't sacrifice the, the, the command I gave you to worship rightly to go build the thing I'm commanding you to build. Keep the thing the thing. This is about worship. This is about my connection with you. This is about living for God's glory and him pouring out his riches of grace out on us. Don't break my commands to do the thing I commanded you to do. And do we not do that today still? Right, with, with our lives, don't, don't we do that? Like we get so caught up, we get so busy doing the things that we need to do that we know there are things that God wants us to do, that is commanding us to do, that he's leading us to do. But we, don't we sometimes sacrifice those things in our busyness, even godly things? As your pastor, sometimes I get so caught up in pastoring and all the duties of pastoring that I forget to stop and just worship. I need to be reminded of this just as much as anything else. Even in you, you, most pastors that I know that get burnt out, most pastors don't have affairs. Most pastors don't have huge moral failings. I know we hear about those things all the time, but that's not how most of it ends. Most pastors just end because they burn out and they've got nothing left to give. And a lot of times that's because they forgot to stop and listen to what God's commanding them to do, to stop and to rest and to worship. Rest and worship will give us all that we need to do the work that God's got to do. But we get so caught up in the stuff, we forget who all this stuff is for. That's all for God's glory, right? We're, we're the same people now as they were then. And God's gracious enough. Yeah, it sounds like a harsh command because God wants them to do it. Without God saying, do this or there's going to be the death penalty. They wouldn't have done it. You don't do it. I don't do it like we're supposed to. So he's being almost harsh with them to protect them. The command to take a Sabbath is a command of love. Rest. Trust in me above all else. You need it. You need me. Rest. So that's that's command he's giving them right before they start the tabernacle. All right, now, let's get into the heart of the passage today. Look at Exodus 35, verse 4 and 5, and then we'll skip down to verse 29. Exodus 35, verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. I love this line. This is important. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. And then it goes on to list all of the different stuff they need to bring. Now go down to verse 29. Verse 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord... Had commit, the, that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. You know, over the last couple chapters, 
Well, I'll say it one more time. We just saw the people completely lose their way, right? I mean, they just lost their way. They forgot to, or they just simply refused to make God the center of their lives. They wanted to, they wanted to worship how they wanted to worship. But now they've come back to the Lord, right? They've been restored back to the Lord. They've remembered who God is. They've remembered who they are in him. They have remembered to worship God and God alone. There is no worshiping, and there's no idols to worship. There's nothing else. God is their God. And what has that proper worship? That's what's been restored. Proper worship among the people. And what has that proper worship, that focused worship for God's glory, what has that led to? Did you see it? It led to incredible generosity. Incredible generosity. These people were absolute failures right before this. God turned and changed their heart, and it's led to incredible generosity. Listen, having a truly generous heart does not start with you. It doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with you being better. It doesn't even start with what you're supposed to do. Yes, there's commands. Yes, there's things we're supposed to do, but it doesn't start there. It starts with us understanding first and foremost how generous our God is to us. That's where it starts. It's, it's seeing. Seeing, dwelling on, thinking about, praying about God's deep affection and love for us, so clearly seen for us in Christ. It's also this. It's seeing our sin for what it is. Cosmic treason against a holy God deserving of death. Has that not been made clear to us in Exodus? Man, the church in America doesn't like even like, it seems doesn't even like to talk about sin anymore. But one of the things that's so valuable about Exodus is it helps us see how God actually sees sin. Cosmic treason deserving death. That's what sin is. But seeing it clearly for what it is helps us to see clearly God's forgiveness. It helps us to see what he's willing to forgive for those that come to him in faith. It shows us how much our God truly does have affection and love for us and want us in his family. The Israelites were very aware of what they had done, how deeply they had betrayed God. But God has now not only forgiven them, but renewed that relationship, renewed that covenant, and it led the people back to worship. Sometimes I wish something would happen so we could, clearly, we could see our sin more clearly. Yeah, especially for those of us who have been Christians for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Something to happen so we could see it clearly. Not because God wants us to sin, but so that we could see, so that we could feel, we could remember how good his grace really is. These people understand God's grace in their lives, and they have worshiped accordingly. So when God asked them to give, listen, willingly, he commanded them to build a tabernacle, but the giving part was willing. It said, those who will give a free will offering, those who give out of a generous heart. When he asked them to do that, asked them to do that, what did they give? We didn't read it today, but chapter 38, verses 24 through 26, tells us that they gave 29 talents of gold. Do you know how much gold that is? Roughly, we think, 2,200 pounds of gold. 29 talents, 2,200 pounds of gold. They gave 100 talents of silver, almost four times as much silver. That doesn't even count the bronze and everything else that they gave, right? So just in the gold, by today's dollars, that is $66 million worth of gold that they gave. These are former slaves, right? $66 million in gold when they left Egypt, when God provided for them. Right? Not counting the silver, not counting the bronze, not counting the fine twine linen and all the, and all, everything else that came with that, just the gold, 66 million. 
But here's the thing. It wasn't like they, that they gave everything that they had or God was even asking them that. They took a census in the passage too, if you, if you look at it, and there were 600,000 men of fighting age, which means over 20. And if you consider the culture at this time, any man over 20, most of them would have been married. The vast majority of them would have been married. If you do the calculations of 66 million and let's say four or 500,000 different families, they didn't give everything that they had. What it was is the whole community coming together. The whole community saying, I'll be generous and I'll be generous. I'll be generous for you and I'll be generous for you. We'll all bring it all together. And they, God, the tabernacle was provided for. Everything that people need was provided for because the whole community came together in generosity and worship to God and it all got taken care of. Not only that, but it got taken care of in amazing ways. Did you hear what Eric read about the giving? Where it landed? In chapter 36, verses 5 and 7, they gave so much that Moses had to tell them to stop giving. The workers were like, we're overwhelmed with the generosity. Tell the people to stop giving. We can't do anything with all of this. Can you imagine? Let's live in fantasy world for a second. Can you imagine what would happen in just our country if the American church responded even close to that? Can you imagine what would happen if the church actually was this generous to things like poverty, the things that need to get taken care of to foster kids for adoption, for all of these different things, can you imagine how things would change? Radical generosity. And again, they weren't giving everything they had. They were just all being radically generous for the sake of God and for the sake of their community. Listen, a heart truly given to the worship of God begins to be transformed to be more like God, to, for us to be more like Christ. Through worship, we begin to not only understand God's unbelievable generosity towards us, but we start to reflect his character. That's how this thing works. That's what being sanctified is, to be made more like Christ through worship. But it wasn't just material generosity that they showed, was it? Look at verse uh, 35, or chapter 35, verse 30, again. Chapter 35, verse 30. And Eric, you did too good of a job with these names. I'm going to try to measure up. Verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit, capital S Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahizamak, of the tribe of Dan. So you got Judah and Dan. We're going to see Levites, the whole, the whole society coming together, men and women all coming together. Verse 35. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver, by any sort of, wor of workman or skilled designer. Chapter 36, verse 1. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary, the sanctuary, the tabernacle, shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. And, the, and Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord has put skill, everyone who, again, this is important, whose heart stirred him to come and do the work. Worship led to them not only giving of their wealth, of their money, of their precious resources, but of their time, 
their gifts, their talents for the sake of service to God and for the sake of the community. And I love how it said in verse 31 that they were filled with the Spirit of God to do the work. Church, are you gifted for the sake of the kingdom if you're a believer? 1 Corinthians 12, right? You may know not, not know exactly what your gift is, but God has gifted you to do the work. He's gifted these people in the same way. It says that God gifted them, but he's taken what he's already gifted with, the skills they're already gifted with, and then his spirit was with them so they could accomplish more with God than they could ever accomplish alone. God is empowering them to do the work that they, they, they couldn't do without him. And then he's empowering them to train others, to recruit others, to teach others so that the whole community can come together to accomplish more than they probably ever dared dream they could accomplish alone. It's God being with them. They're worshiping God, calling them to the mission, and God's saying, by the way, I got you. Let's go. I'm with you. Everything you need, I've provided for you. Let's go. You can get this done. Worship led to radical generosity, and that radical generosity led to faithful service of God and his people. Now, verse 39, I'm going to read it one more time. Not verse 39, chapter 39. Go to chapter 39. You see, God was with them. God inspired them. They gave. They worked. The whole community came together. And this is the final result. Like I said, we're not going to read all the details. Go back and read the rest of those chapters. 36, 37, 38. Go back and read them. But this is where we landed. This is when they all came together. This is what they accomplished. Chapter 39, verse 32. Verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of the tanned ram's skins and goat skins and, all, and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony, that's the ark of the covenant with the actual Ten Commandments on tablets within it, and the mercy seat where God's presence will, will come among the people, where the high priest will go in and make the sacrifice to God, right? The ark of the covenant, verse 35, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat. The table with all its utensils, the bread and the bread of the presence. The lampstand of pure gold and its lamps with the lamp set and all its utensils and the oil for the light. The golden altar, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the entrance of the tent. The bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles and its utensils, the basin and its stand. The hangings of the court, that's the outer court of the temple. Its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court. Its cords and its pegs and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting. The finely worked garments for the ministering in the holy place. The holy garments of, for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. This is the garments for the Levitical priests who will lead people to God to be the mediators and do the sacrifices to atone for sin. And then finally, verse 42. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. This group of slaves who are now free, the, the people who had only recently actually become the people of God, right? They were a people, but now they've just recently really become the people of God. This group that God not very long ago called stiff-necked people because they had so badly messed this thing up, so badly it seemed for a minute they might not ever come back from it, have now accomplished something together that is truly remarkable. 
If you go back and read all of the detail, how specific it was, like God representing his, holy, his holiness on earth and really a picture of heaven. The tabernacle is a picture of the garden and heaven on earth, how detailed it was. What they accomplished is amazing considering particularly where they came from. It's amazing. So remarkable that Moses, who not very long ago was seething with righteous anger because of their sin and because of their betrayal, now looks at what all of these redeemed people have accomplished for God's kingdom and for the sake of their community, and he blesses them. It went from cursing to blessing through redemption and worship. Because in the end, it doesn't matter how deep the sin it doesn't matter how much the people had lost their way and man, they had lost their way. It didn't matter how hard things had gotten or how just like how inescapable their difficulty seemed because they went through some difficult things, church. Simply having their hearts turned to God above all else, simply turning their affections back to God, listen, above all else, not only led to the redemption of their community, but to them doing incredible things for the kingdom of God, incredible things for the kingdom of God and for the sake of his glory among them. And these aren't awesome people that, that were great, what we'll later call Christians, but great people of God who just figured it all out and moved forward. No, God radically changed their hearts through worship, and they did incredible things. Their generosity, their service, it's amazing. Church, here's the thing. Obviously, things don't look the same for us today as they did for them, right? They don't look the same. We don't have a golden calf getting in the way of our worship. We don't have a golden calf and those types of idols pulling away who we're supposed to be in God. It's not exactly the same, no. But is it not similar? Can you see it? Over the last year, like we started at the beginning, difficulties like COVID and all of that crazy divisiveness in our culture has just made things harder. Especially with COVID. Like I said at the beginning, I can't tell you how many pastors I... I I've talked to that said, they'll just say things like, in our church, everything just feels different. Sound familiar? Feel familiar? It just feels different. It's just not what it used to be. Listen, it's just harder. Distance, apathy, and this struggle to engage with people in meaningful ways has just gotten harder than it used to be. Listen, harder than it should be. Harder than it should be. It's made our churches, not churches, less healthy. And like I've said at the beginning, when the family isn't as healthy, everything's just more difficult. Everything's just a, a little bit worse. Then you add on top of that, everything we've been through the last four and five months, it's just made things harder. I want to say this again. I know many of you have felt that, and I just want to, you're not alone like, when, like I said, like when things happen in your marriage that are difficult, it's just in your marriage when, when things are difficult, it's harder to engage. It's harder to fight for the things that you know you should be fighting for. It's harder to say and do the things that you know you should be doing. Everything just gets more difficult. It just gets harder. It's just harder to have the motivation. But hear me, church. I understand it. I have felt it. I know many of you have felt it. And it may not be the golden calf distracting us, but in so many ways, it's similar because there are so many things trying to distract our minds and our hearts and our spirits from focusing on the thing that it should be focused on. And I get it, but it's time to recognize it and take it to the Lord and move forward, isn't it? Doesn't it feel time to move forward? 
Like the pastor was talking about at the beginning, it's time to see that, yeah, maybe the church stopped for a time. And that, man, that's just not fun. But it's going to start moving again. And we can start moving again. And it's not just me or Brandon or your other pastors or your deacons being faithful. It's all of us thinking, man, I just need to be faithful. And I just need to be patient. And I just need to be, listen, a great characteristic of God, long-suffering. And I just have to have grace. And I have to fight for this thing so we can move forward. The church in America and around the world, it's not just fresh water. We got to fight for this thing. Because it's been, ter- it's, it's so many ways it's been torn away from us. We've been so distracted. But we got to get back to keeping the thing the thing. And how do we get back to, to the thing, church? Worship. Church, we aren't Israelites. We aren't old covenant believers. That's what the Old Testament really means, old covenant. By the blood of Christ, church, we are new covenant believers, covered by the blood of Christ. Made new, made new by the power of his resurrection and empowered to actually be more like Christ through the Holy Spirit that was, that's within us. But when things, don't feel quite, so when things don't feel quite right, when sin or apathy or just difficulty or struggle tries to pull us away of who we're supposed to be as individuals and who we're supposed to be as the bride of Christ, the answer is the same now as new covenant believers as it was as for old covenant believers. And what is it? What is the answer? Somebody say it. Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus. Of course it's Jesus. What's the word I've said a hundred times in the sermon? Worship. Worship. Yes, Jesus. Amen. I should have said amen. That's not the word I was looking for though. Worship. Worship. Worship is our answer. How we make it through the difficulty. How we recapture our deep love and affection for each other. How we recapture our passion. How we recapture our joy. And it starts with the church. Do you know the New Testament doesn't say that you are the answer. It it really doesn't even communicate Jesus is the answer. It does. It says that the church is the answer for all of these things in the world. Yes, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But God is using us, the church, to correct the things in this world, to bring his kingdom, to show his glory, to move forward. It's the church. The church is the answer. We aren't the Israelites. So proper worship isn't about us going to a tabernacle. It's not about us going to this place where God is to do sacrifices, to atone for our sin in that way. No, that's, that's not how we experience the glory of God. It's not how we worship. So, how do we worship, church? You can say Jesus if you want, but how do we worship? Romans 12 tells us. Romans spends 11 chapters laying out the gospel and all its implications. And then Romans 12 tells us. It's, it basically says, because of what Christ has done to save us, Because by his blood he has made us, listen, not sinners, the holy, righteous, blameless, children of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Because now, by the power of his resurrection, by making us something new, we don't have to go to a temple because where is the temple? In us. Because we are now the temple of God with his Holy Spirit dwelling with inside of us and empowering us. We are to live our lives as a living sacrifice. Not dead sacrifices to atone for sin. Living sacrifice. That is how we worship. By fully embracing and inviting in all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And seeing that, understanding that, knowing that, holding on to that, and then giving our whole lives for the sake of God's glory. I've said it before. We, 
you start processing how I treat people is for God's glory. How I interact with people at work and how hard I work at my job is for God's glory. How I interact with my family members, even the ones that I'm going to have to see this weekend that I don't like and they're going to cause trouble. And man, they're really frustrating to be around. All for God's glory. How you interact on social media, all for God's glory. This is not a list of things that you need to do better, church. It's not about you being better. Jesus was better enough for you. It's about God setting you free to who you were meant to be. And all of this weight and heaviness and bitterness and anger and resentment and struggle and apathy is not what God wants for you. Living sacrifice, whole life given for his glory so that you can move forward in the hope and the peace and the joy and the fulfillment of being a child of God. Hebrews 1 says one of my favorite phrases in scripture. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Isn't that beautiful? He radiates God's glory. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint, right? The perfect image of who our God is. He radiates God's glory. He, He radiates God's glory far better than Moses ever did with his glowing face. You know why? Because Jesus and the Father are one. They are one. If we want to worship God rightly, if we want to give our lives for the sake of his glory, Jesus is our answer. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. It's why our mission statement starts with freshwater exists to glorify God. Jesus is the picture of God's glory. So everything we do to worship God rightly, we have to see Jesus for who he is, what he did, dwell on it, hold on to it, preach the gospel to ourselves, preach the gospel to each other, and then try to live that out in every aspect of our lives. Why am I saying all this? Church, if we're going to come out of this time of difficulty, let's be honest, this time of just like apathy for some of us. This time where everything feels a little less joyful, a little less easy, a little less motivating, a little harder. It's not, hear me, it's not gonna come from my perfect leadership. That's, that's been made perfectly clear. It's not gonna come from a great sermon that just inspires you and everything in your life changes. And it's not going to come from some seven-step process on how to be a better you. It's not going to get you there. It's going to come by us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. That's it. It's simple. Yet it can be complicated in the real world, right? It's It's not complicated to say it. It's hard in the world that we live in now to feel it. It's why, church, we're all sitting together this week. Do you know there's, 200, there's 260 chairs here. You have room to spread out, but we don't feel like family. We've got to recapture it. We've got to live for God's glory and recapture the fact that we're supposed to be family. We've got to be together. I was talking to Corey before service. I think the separation to protect us from COVID was actually more dangerous to our hearts and our souls than COVID. I know some of you are at an age where you're high risk. I get it. Like, I get it. Of course I understand it. But like, what it's done to devastate God's people and his church and man, everything that's come out of that, everything that's come out of that, it's going to take worship. It's going to be taking that apathy and our sin and our hurt and our pain and our frustrations and our weariness to the cross and asking God to forgive us. Ask genuinely, asking God to renew our souls, to asking God to pour out his grace on us so that we might be more like him. Your God is kind. And he is gracious. And he is merciful. And he is patient. And one of my favorite qualities of God that always gets forgotten about, he is long-suffering. Think about what he did for you in Christ. He is long-suffering. He sees our rebellion, our adultery, 
and he sends his son to redeem us from it. That is long suffering for your sake. And he is abounding in steadfast love. Steadfast meaning if you are a child of God, he is not going to abandon you no matter what. And church, if we can give our lives to him, to worship him through the highs and the lows, right? Trust him when it's easy and when it's hard. If if we can come to him in our sin and in our successes, he will transform us to be like that. We can be more like God. Church, what we need right now in the church and in our church is people with radically generous hearts. And I don't mean financially. I don't mean just financially. But generous towards each other. We've got to get to the point where we're we're genuinely thinking about what other people are going through. Because you know what? This time has made us selfish. Can I say that? All of us. Um, it's, it's, it's all of us. It's made us selfish. It's made us think about us and what we need and what we're going through. And, oh, I don't want to do this and I don't feel like this. It's made us focus on us. But we need a time of, like, through worship, recapturing radical generosity when we're thinking about what others are going through and we want to share in that thing that they're going through as they share it with us, right? It's not just pouring out. As if, you pour, if I pour out for you and you pour out for me, we are encouraged. We are uplifted. We grow through this together. We need to be calling each other out, holding each other accountable, encouraging each other, exhorting each other, and pouring each other to Jesus Christ. I said in men's group on Monday, I never, I almost... I gotta be careful how I say this. On Monday, I woke up and wanted nothing to do with being a pastor, basically. Now, hear me. When I say I didn't want to quit, I genuinely, I've I've never gotten to the point where I wanted to quit. But I just didn't feel like doing the things I know I needed to do. Apathy. I was a little depressed on Monday. And if if you struggle with depression, man, tell me, I want to pray for you. But it's just not, it's not a part of my life. Like deep anxiety is not a part of my life, but I felt depressed. I felt anxious. I felt like I can't do this today. Do you know what brought me out of it? I met two people over lunch and then I had a conversation with one of my best friends late in the day who loves Jesus and it pulled me completely out of it. Completely. Radically. And two of the people I was discipling but I was saying to them all the things that I needed to hear because we were together encouraging each other, challenging each other, and reminding each other of who, our, who Jesus actually is. We need to have the opportunity, church, to show people grace who we don't feel like deserve it, to give people mercy who probably haven't earned it, to long suffer for people around us, and to show them steadfast love. And that only happens in community. And I don't remember exactly how he said it, but what Matt said in men's group was so good this week that gathering together with men, life group, discipleship, or right here is a holy thing. It's not another thing that we're supposed to do. It's not another task that we're supposed to do to be good Christians. This is a reflection right here. The gathering of the family and talking about the glory of God is a reflection of heaven. We're going to get together and spend time together and eat and celebrate in heaven who God is forever. This is the thing. Not coming to hear preaching that you enjoy. I hope you enjoy my preaching. That's not the thing. The thing is the saints gathering together for the sake of God's glory. And we can't do that if we're distanced. 
Listen, you want to be a part of a church that's not messy? Man, this church is, you're new? Welcome to a messy church. Have you ever read the New Testament? Right at the beginning. About what, 20, 30 years after Jesus is gone. Literally, literally still have the apostles. Read the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians. It's a mess. But it's also wonderful. Right? It's not only a mess. This is a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. Things are going to get messy sometimes. The early church was messy. If you don't want to be a part of messy, then you have to leave the church. Let me say that better. You have to leave what Jesus calls his bride. Do you think that's what God wants? As I've said before, if you tell me, JT, I like you, but I can't stand your bride. We've got problems, right? That's something we have to figure out. You don't get to say you don't like my bride and let's move on, right? We've got to figure that out. This is the answer, church. This right here. This mess of people who don't always get everything right, who sin, who mess up. The only way we can actually give people grace is if they don't deserve to be forgiven, but we forgive them anyway. That we long suffer with people. That we walk through things together. This is what the church is supposed to be. To work through these things together. This will make us more like Jesus Christ who saw us in our rebellion, in our denial, in our running away, loving the world, loving our passions, loving our desires, and came and said, I'm going to die on the cross anyway. And from the cross, as I'm dying, I'm going to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's who our God is. That's why we worship him. Because how could God possibly be that good? You know your sin, you know your heart, and so do I. Yet he came and made, didn't just forgive me, but made him me his child with an inheritance waiting for me in heaven. That is who our God is. That's who we're, we're to be. And it is hard. And it is messy. And it's worth it. It's worth it. That is what's going to get the train going, church. That's what's going to get us roaring down the tracks. And like I said before, God has already given us ways to build that momentum and start working forward. It's got to start with worship. But let, let, let me just list some of the things that are happening right now. We have our John B. Hughes event. It's been on July 17th. Hopefully you guys know that there. If you're new to church, there's an apartment complex. It's big, and there's good things about that apartment complex, but there is a ton of darkness, darkness and lostness in John B. Hughes. People that live there know it. Right? It's not like this is a secret to them. They know it. Good things and extremely difficult dark things. And God has opened, literally, like miraculously opened up doors so that we can come in. So that we can come in and not only love people and serve them, but this, this week we got permission to say whatever we want. Whatever, that, that door has not been opened like that in a long time. Whatever we want. And so on July 17th, we're asking you guys to come to serve. There's going to be good music. There's going to be good food. There's going to be gospel testimonies. People are going to share their testimonies. I'm going to share the gospel. And you know what that feels like to a lot of us? Oh man, there's one more church thing I've got to do. Can we, can we stop for a second and right the ship and think about how sad that is? And hear me, I understand it's not like I don't understand. Who are we meant to be? People who live for the glory of God and advance the gospel. We have the opportunity to literally go share the gospel of Jesus Christ with lost people. I am begging God to save people. I am begging God. I've been praying for three months, four months for this. I'm begging God to save people and give us relationships where that will lead to the gospel being advanced, leading to people being saved and coming into the family of God. It is not one more task. This is who we're called to be. How many churches right now on the end of COVID think they're getting opportunities like this to take the gospel forward into dark places? This is it, church. This is the thing. 
But we still have to start with worship. This is not a guilt trip. Do not hear guilt. Do not hear condemnation. I understand. We got to take that apathy to the cross and repent and ask God, give me your heart for these people because that's what this is. It is not another church thing. This is the gospel going forth. Take it to the cross, church. I get it. Take it to the cross. And be there on July 17th. And even if you're just serving a hot dog, do it for the glory of God. And let's see the gospel advanced. Right? It's amazing that we have this opportunity. In August, do you know what's opening up? Williams Elementary. For the first time in over a year, Williams Elementary is going to be back on the north side. They're having this grand opening with the parents and the thing. They're having this big back-to-school bash. And guess who they want there? Us. That's normal for us, right? That's normal. We've been, if you're new, we've been a part of the neighborhood and Williams Elementary since the very beginning. But it's, we've lost it over the last year. And they called and said, we want you there. Come and do games, serve food, engage with the neighborhood, engage with neighbors. We're going to get to engage with neighbors that we haven't seen in a year and a half or more. And there's going to be a bunch of new people. It's not another church task. Like, this is an opportunity to take the gospel forth, to engage in a way. And they want us there. They're so excited for us to be there. Praise God. That's amazing. If you think about what the, the separation between church and state and schools and all this thing, that they're asking a church that they know is going to share the gospel to come and hang out and engage with the neighbors around here because they, they care so much about what we are trying to accomplish. That's amazing. Don't let it get old. Don't let it get tired. Don't let the apathy man, just put a fog over that. Man, go to Jesus Christ and let him burn that fog away because this is amazing things. Church, we're not only going to serve out there, but we've got to serve our church. You know what we've lost over the last year and a half? Connection. And that's reflected in our connection team. We used to have bagels and people doing this and people doing that, and we basically had to stop doing all that. We've got to start it back up. So I, I need people who are like, you know, I want to be a part of the team. Who when people walk through that door, particularly new people, that they feel welcome, that they know how to engage, that they know how to connect, and that this feels like a family again. We've got to rebuild our connection team. So if you want to be a part of that connection team, come find me. Like, take that seriously. We got to make, we got to fight for the family, not just, not just wish it was better. Wishing, who cares about wishing? Your good intentions, I say this in love. I say this to guys I disciple all the time. Your good intentions don't matter at all. Thank God there's good intentions. Praise God there's good intentions. But without actions, they're just intentions. Right, so we need people to say, you know what, I could be a part of that. I can make people feel welcome. I want to make people feel like family here. This is the family of God. We got to fight for it, right? So come talk to me or talk to Larry in particular if you want to be a part of a connection scene that actually matters, that does the work. Here's the last one. His kids. We talk about his kids everywhere. We have kids everywhere. Everywhere. Our kid to adult ratio is insane. Right? People are having babies and still having babies. And then those babies are turning into toddlers. And those toddlers are turning into elementary school kids. And those elementary kids are, t are turning into youth. And it's happening all around you like crazy. Here's the thing. What if you served in his kids, not simply because there's a need, and there is a need. There's a big need. But what if you served in his kids, not simply because there's a need, but because there's so many kids in his kids that haven't given their life to Jesus Christ yet. I'm not asking you to babysit. Right? I know with babies it's difficult, but we're starting the process even with babies of building the gospel into them, like walking the process. What if, what if you thought in there, I, I want to be a person that doesn't babysit but plants seeds? 
Plant seeds that's going to lead our children to Jesus Christ, to redemption, and for them to be in the family of God with us forever. What if we came together as a family, right? This is on parents, first and foremost, right? Teach your kids the gospel. It is on you. God is going to hold you responsible. But what if as a family we said, I want to come around these parents and make sure I'm a part of that process that plants those seeds. What if you were a seed planter in his kids? That's what it really is. What if you didn't worry about, well, I'm not gifted with kids, and said, but I can, I can share the gospel with them. I don't mean be a great teacher. They give you the material. You just got to be faithful. Faithfully sharing the gospel with our kids. What if we thought about it like that? You see the difference? The generosity of heart, the serving for God's glory. Like, listen, we need each other, church. Isolation is dangerous. Being outside of community is dangerous. We need each other. We need the deep connections that come with being the church, not just a church. John 35, 13 says, by this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's in the really good and the really hard. I could keep going about other ways that you can engage, have generous hearts, serve faithfully, but I think you're getting the point. What we need is to have our affection stirred for Christ today. It's Christ. So it starts right here. It starts right now with you and with me and with us offering our lives as a living sacrifice to God. That's what, that's what this is. Where can you be more steadfast? Where can you show more grace? Where can you be merciful? Where can you be long-suffering? What if God began to change our hearts today in generosity and service just started pouring out of us, church, just pouring out? We've been there. And we're going to get back there. Because the, 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 the train is starting to move. Are you going to be on board? So I want you to take this seriously with me today. Taking these things to the cross. Taking these things to your Savior who died to set you free from all of the things that are trying to keep you away from him. Confess these things. Repent of these things. Give them to him and just beg God to move you forward. And then get into community. Community church where you can fight for these things together. Take these things seriously today, church. I pray that you will. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your unbelievable mercy to us, to your grace, for your steadfast love, for your long-suffering, for your patience, for your kindness, for your gentleness, God, for your holiness. God, this last year and a half has been hard. And we know that you know that you're God. So God, we're praying that you would redeem us. We know that we have been redeemed. We know, but we know that you are still sanctifying us and growing us and making us more like your son. So God, sanctify us, redeem us to, to see who we are, to see what you've done for us and for, to give us that heart of generosity, that service, that, that heart, that sense of community. God, burn away the apathy. Burn away the, the bitterness or the, the struggle. God, burn those things away and get your cha- the train of this church roaring down the track for the sake of your name and your glory. God, this last year and a half has shown us that we can't do it under our own power, but in you, all things are possible. If the Israelites could, could turn everything around and, and, and give with such generosity of, the, of their, their money and their gifts and their talents and their times, God, you can do that with us. That's easy. God, help us to believe it. Help us to walk in it. God, and above else, help us to worship you. What a weird thing to ask, but God, we get so distracted. 
Help us to worship you and to live our lives for your glory and not only see our lives radically changed, but the world changed around us because of your spirit in us. God, I thank you so much for this church family. I thank you so much for the things that you're doing we know that you will do. Help us to be faithful. Help us to worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.